like to extend a Christian greeting to each one this morning. Greet you in Jesus' precious name. It's a blessing to be together with other people that love the Lord. It's a blessing to see the Lord at work here right this morning. Just ask the interest in your continual prayer as we share in the message this morning. <clears throat> Romans 5 verse 8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. <clears throat> There's a, I call it a phenomena that's happening in the world today. It's worldwide. Um, you can go to any country, any area of that country, any person in any country, from the poorest country you can think of to the richest country. Every person in this plan- on this planet is looking for this thing that's happening. And many look all their lives and never find it. And it's expressed in many ways of how they don't find it. What is it? It's the phenomena of love. The title this morning is God's Love. And I was just tremendously blessed with the devotion this morning. Uh, the brother read several scriptures I want to cover, and he set a good base for it. Um, and just how God worked in this morning. Now, he shared a little more in love among each other and like that, but also God's love. But this morning, my, our primary focus is going to be on God's love. Uh, we'll use some scriptures that talks about love to each other and all that, but we want to focus on God's love. And I just thought, um, so listen to the devotion this morning about love for each other and, and love of God there in 1 John 3, 4, and 5. I was just blessed with uh, how God works. It's always a blessing when you can fi- find those um, confirmations that God has led you in the right way and how He works together. God's love. How is love being searched for today? There's many ways. Just a few ways. If you walk into just a secular Christian, a secular store, uh, bookstore, you would find generally what's titled romance novels is one of the top sellers. And not just in the secular stores, but even the, quote, Christian bookstores. Romance novels are sell, they sell very good. If someone wants to have a series and sell a lot of books, usually they have to have some kind of romance of some kind, some kind of love in the story to make it sell in today's world. Now, I hope you don't do this and I, we don't, I hope, is go into a, a movie store. If um, I've checked time or two on some of the lists, our paper, local paper, sometimes I list the top movies, and almost always it's something to do with love or romance or something. A lot of the movies they say in the uh, top selling movies are X-rated movies. It's ones that are something in form or fashion, a lot of perverted views of love. But it's people looking for something. That's why it sells so well. And even in all due respect to our president, he even supports the wrong way of looking for love. Perverted lifestyles, he endorsed it. It was amazing to me how um, talking to some of the Christian Aid Ministries billboard evangelists and their telecounselors, how just right after that, within a week or two, how much opposition they got against um, their stand on gays and things like that when they, uh, people call in. Uh, it was amazing. Very quickly, they just sensed a lot more hostility against them and what they were doing. And even last fall, I was uh, noticed something in the uh, news. It was a uh, disgraced retired military general. He was considered a very one of the elite minds of his day. Considered one of the one of the greatest generals that U.S. military has had. He was 
a very smart person. He did he did uh, developed a lot of things in the military that was considered, I mean, way above anybody in his. He had a class of his own, I guess you say. But he he was disgraced, even though he had he knew all about intelligence, he knew all about how to work in secret and all that. Somehow he couldn't keep secret something in his life. He was involved in an adulterous relationship with someone that wasn't his wife, and so here we see. Many people in many different areas of life are looking for this love. Now, the worldly love, the definition I put together for it is, what's in it for me? That's the worldly definition of love. What will I get? That's a selfish love. And that's what um, we'll look at this morning, a few things that isn't that way. Five points of the message this morning, and we'll look at some of these just briefly, but what is love? God's love in the Old Testament. We want to take a quick journey through the scriptures about love and then we'll look at God's love in the New Testament and then end with Christ the personification of love so point one what is love we've noticed what people around us are looking for they're looking for love but looking the wrong places what is love now I've been I've already heard in weddings and different places people expounding about love and I've heard that love is commitment sometimes we hear that love is a commitment uh, being committed to each other. Other times I've heard people say love is a choice. It's a choice that we make. And then the world for sure looks at it this way, but I think even sometimes we think of this time love is a feeling. And it is. It's a feeling. It involves feeling. But is love just commitment? Is love just choice? Is it just a feeling? I like to say this morning, love is... Uh, involves commitment. Love involves choices. Love involves feelings. You that have ever been in love or married, you know it does have feelings. So it involves all those, but all those by themselves don't really say what love is. Another question I'd like to ask about love, can only a few have it or is it available to everyone? I think it is. Everyone is looking for it, but who is finding it? Now this is a dictionary definition uh, Webster's of love has three different uh, points here strong affection for another arising out of kinship or personal ties number two affection based on sexual desire number three affection based on admiration benevolence or common interest and that's generally when people think of love that's pretty much what they think of but even all those it still doesn't really describe what love is so we could ask a question so what is love and I don't know how many people are here this morning, but if we asked 100 people what is love, we'd probably have between 85 and 100 different answers exactly what love is. Because different ones have had experience in different ways, and so different ones would say different things. Now I hope I'm going to answer that question this morning. I hope it's not an oversimplified answer, but I think it's pretty basic. It's God is love. That's what I'd like to look at this morning. God is love. 1 John 4, 7. We heard it already. I'm going to read it again. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. So I think the Bible definition of love is God. If you want to know what love is about, it's God. And it starts from God. <clears throat> now the... Uh, Looking at the word agape, which often is expressed when it's talking about God's love for people and like that, it means, like we term it, love. In the King James, it's called love. Some places called charity. But it means affection or benevolence. Sort of the same idea as Webster gives a little bit. Also, it describes the attitude of God for his son, the agape love. It's the, the, um, 
highest form of love, I guess that's the right way to say it, that there is, agape. There's other forms of love, but agape is the love that God shows to us. But God isn't merely benevolent. He's benevolence itself. It's like we can't say God just is this, but it's who he is. It's his being. He demonstrates what benevolence is. And I, just, I come across this statement. It, just, it really caught my attention. I just read it. Never was a more important declaration made than this. Never were more meanings crowded into a few words than this short sentence. God is love. I don't think you find another sentence in the whole world that has more meaning and declares more about God than that right there. God is love. And love is the very essence of who God is. It's just it's who he is. And I think, I think it's proper to say that all of the attributes flow out of God's love. We can look at God. We won't go into a, a, a deep dis, uh, discussion on that, but I think we can just say it's safe to say that God is love and all his other attributes flow from that. And we've, we've probably already seen it, and I'm sure I have, you have. It says God is love, love is God, or love is God, God is love. It's put either way, any way like that. It just, it just expresses who God really is. So God is love. I think it's important for us to realize that, that God is love. Now, as I was studying for this, um, I found some very good thoughts and vines on God's love. I'd like to just read out of a quote from that. It's from Vines. In respect of agapio, it's talking about love, as used of God, it expresses the deep and constant love and interest of a perfect being toward entirely unworthy objects, producing and fostering a reverential love in them toward the giver and a practical love toward those who are partakers of the same and a desire to help others seek the giver. That's a little long. I'm just going to read the first part again. In respect of agapio, as used of God, it expresses the deep and constant and intra—sorry, constant love and interest of a perfect being toward entirely unworthy objects. And as I read, I just—that's God. We don't deserve anything that we have, but God's love—that's a perfect love toward me, us, totally unworthy objects. So that is I'd like to just again. What is love? God is love. Point number two, God's love in the Old Testament. I invite you to open to Deuteronomy chapter 7. I'd like to read several verses there. Looking at a few select passages here in the Old Testament, there's many we could look at. I've just chosen a few. We're looking at Israel, Deuteronomy 7. We'll read verses 6 through 14. I've chosen a few passages that talk about Israel, God's love towards Israel. And remember, today we are a type of the Israel. We are the New Testament Israel, so in a sense it's referring to us. So here we have, it talks about Israel and God's his love for them. So Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 6, beginning to read there. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto him, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the excuse me, for ye were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he sware unto thy fathers, hath the Lord brought you out of the mighty with a mighty hand, and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen, from the hand of Pharaoh the king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, and a 
the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations, and repayeth them that hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack to him that hateth him. He will repay him to his face. Thou shalt therefore keep the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which I command thee this day to do them. Wherefore it shall come to pass, if you hearken to these judgments and keep and do them, that thy Lord... Excuse me, that the Lord thy God shall keep unto thee the covenant and mercy which he sware unto thy fathers. And he will love thee and bless thee and multiply thee. He will also bless the fruit of thy womb, the fruit of thy land, thy corn and thy wine and thine oil, and the increase of thy kind and the flocks of thy sheep in the land which he, shall, which he sware unto thy fathers to give thee. Thou shalt be blessed above all people. There shall not be made... There shall not be male or female barren among you or among your cattle. So here we see God expressing his love, saying why he chose Israel. Now it was no good in them that caused God to choose them at this time to be his special people. It says here it wasn't the good in them, but he had his reasons. And I think it sprang from the infinite, his infinite goodness to Israel, but ultimately to us here today. Because he chose a nation... At that time, he chose a nation, and in time, when the fullness of time was come, he brought Christ through this nation to bring salvation to us. So here it says, notice in verse um, 8, it says, verse 7, excuse me, The Lord did not send his love unto you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the fewest of people. He's saying it's not because of who you were that I chose you. It's because I wanted to choose you. It's not because of what you have done, but it's because of my love. It's what I wanted. It's what I wanted to do. That's why I chose you. And I think that sprung from God's infinite goodness. And it wasn't, like I said, not just for Israel, but he's looking forward to something greater coming later on. Now let's turn to Jeremiah 31. And here God's expressing his love to Israel again. And I don't understand all these scriptures here and some of the prophecies that could be with this and all that but just a few things we'll point out here as we read this but i'm here israel have fell away from god and if i'm not mistaken some of them were maybe in babylon this time and god was wanting to call them back to israel and that this is his call to them jeremiah 31 beginning in verse 1 and at the same time said the lord will i be the god of all the families of israel and they shall be my people Thus saith the Lord, the people which were left of the sword found grace in the wilderness, even Israel, when I went to cause him to rest. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Again, I will build thee, and thou shalt be built, O virgin of Israel. Thou shalt again be adorned with thy tabrets, and thou shalt go forth in the dances of them that make merry. Thou shalt yet plant vines upon the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant, and they shall eat, and shall eat them as common things. For there shall be a day that the watchmen upon the mount Ephraim shall cry, Arise ye, and let us go up to Zion unto the Lord our God. For thus saith the Lord, Sing with the gladness for Jacob, and shout among the chief of the nations. Publish ye, praise ye, and say, O Lord, save thy people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them forth. From the, bring them from the north country and gather them from the coast of the earth and with them the blind and the lame the woman with child and her that travaileth with child together a great company shall return thither 
They shall come with weeping and with supplication will I lead them. I will cause them to walk by rivers of water in a straight way, wherein they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Here we see, especially in verse 3, I'd like to zero in there. It says, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me. He's saying the Lord from old. I think he's referring to, he could say from eternity past, but of old. When I first made this covenant with the children of Israel, I've appeared unto you. And then he says this, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. He's saying my love is an everlasting love. He comes back to Israel. Remember, they had fallen away, they had sinned, they had been dispersed among the nations. But he's, he's asked him, he wants them back. And it comes from his love for Israel there. And he says, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. It's not something I just decide to love you now and that's all. But he had loved him with an everlasting love. And what, it was um, a love that went way back. The, of old, it says, appeared of old unto me. It's Jeremiah speaking here. And it goes on here, a lot of things here. I don't, don't see, I understand exactly everything Jeremiah is saying here. All the things that God spoke to him. I'd like to go to the last of verse 9 now. And it shows us again the heart of God towards Israel. He says, For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. It appears here that he's reaching out saying, I want you back. Just like a father loves his child, God is reaching out saying, Come, I'm a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. And if I understand it right, Ephraim was one of the ones that rejected God. They turned away from God. And they played whoredom with the nations around it but he's saying I want Ephraim back as my firstborn and if I understand it right the firstborn often had a double portion that was given to him and here's the one that fell away God saying I want you back and I'll give you a double portion even if you come back I think that just shows us a little bit of God's love in the Old Testament there just read uh, two verses out of Hosea 11 verse 1 and 4 when Israel was a child we talked about that when God first called them then I loved him and called my son out of Egypt. Verse 4, I drew them with cords of a man with bands of love. It, the idea I get there, it seems like he's, he's wanting to wrap something around them, pull them back with bands of love. He's trying to bring them back to him. He says, I remember when Israel was a child, and I loved him, and I want to bring him back and love him again. Malachi 1, 1 and 2, The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, saith the Lord. Now, there's just a few examples of God's love in the Old Testament. He was focused on Israel. But remember, we are the Israel of God today. In a sense, we could say it was focused on us because he had a plan in place there for what was going to happen in the scriptures to come. Now, the third point, like to just take a short journey of love, I call it, through the scriptures. And we'll no, I think we'll notice here the very structure of scripture seems to indicate how important love is. Let's turn to uh, Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22, I have to read verses 1 through 3. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and give thee and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him therefore burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him. And Isaac his son, and clay the wood for the burnt offering, rose up, and went unto the place which God had told him. 
Now, something I want to mention here before we go into the scripture here, there's, it's the idea, the, the idea of the principle of first mention. Now, I first come across this quite a few years ago in studying our Sunday school lesson. We studied the book of Genesis. And the thought is that when something, a major doctrine or idea is first introduced in the book of Genesis, the first time it's used often sets the tone of how it's used for the rest of the scripture. It's called the principle of first mention. And especially here in love, there's other examples we give, but we're going to focus on love this morning. Here is the first time love is used in the scripture. Now I say love, it says, thy, the son thou lovest. Now as we go through the message, I'll be using the time about when love is used. And that could be love, the beloved, lovest, but some form of love. Um, and here's the first time in scripture it is used. And let's notice how it's used. It seems a little bit strange how it's used. It's not in connection with the love of a man for his wife. We often think of that as something of love today, or of a mother for her children. And generally today, if you want to think of the closest bond on earth, usually it's a mother and a daughter. Somehow there's something special and close there. Too often, father and son seems to be a little rocky and rough. Not always, but that's sort of the idea a lot of people have. But a mother for a daughter often is considered one of the closest relationships. But that's not what it's referring to here as love. It's not even referring to brotherly love or love for a country. Back in this time, remember God chose Israel later then, but they had the love for the country. It's not even uh, involving that. It's not even talking about a man's love for God. Let's notice what it says here. It's but a father's love for his son. Verse 2, thy son whom thou lovest. Thine only son Isaac whom thou lovest. That's the first time any form of the word love is used in, in the scriptures. Furthermore, it's using the connection of a sacrificial offering of that only and beloved son. And here I would like to read something else. The deep love of a father for his only son, yet a father who is willing to slay him, is thus inferred to be, the, to be representative of the most complete and meaningful concept of the very word love itself. It's of a father for his son. And not only that, but for his only son. And it's about a sacrifice. He's willing to sacrifice his son. So the first mention of love calls attention to the fact of a father's love for his only son. Who is it? Abraham and Isaac. A picture of what? A picture of God the Father and God the Son. It's a beautiful picture, a type here of God the Father and God the Son. And this love of God for the Father for His Son existed from eternity past. We notice already about His everlasting love. But John 17, 24 says, Father, and this is Jesus speaking, I will that they also whom Thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which Thou hast given me, for Thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. So this is a love that went way back, God and His Son. And I think it's, we need to, it's safe to say this love should, must be the root and foundation of all of the loves. It has to be. A brotherly love and everything. Even the love of a man and a wife. Its foundation has to be in God's love. The love of a mother for a child. The foundation and root is in God's love. All loves must have their source in God's love. If they don't, just think of the things we mentioned earlier. That's the, how the world is looking for love. They're messing it all up. They're getting it all wrong because they're looking at the wrong place for the source. Now, we'd like to note, I think, some of the most beautiful and remarkable evidence of divine planning of the very structure of Scripture. Scripture didn't just happen. It just didn't happen that Genesis was first and then Exodus and all like that. We'd like to notice some of those things. Again, 
The first time love is mentioned is in connection of a love of a godly father for his only son. And it was to suffer. He suffered anguish of his soul, I think, to do this for his son, to give him as a burnt offering. Abraham and Isaac, again, a picture of God the Father and God the Son. I think we can say if the Old Testament presents the type, the New Testament presents the prototype. There's four portraits of Christ in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Three of these, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are known as the synoptic gospels. They have a lot of things in similar. The lot of things in them that they uh, overlap. There's some, a few differences. But they pretty much are similar in a lot of things. The Gospel of John stands essentially alone in this. It pictures Christ as the Son of God and emphasizes especially the love of God. It stands a little different. It's a little different than the rest of them. Jesus is spoken as the Son of God. The, uh, excuse me. Jesus is spoken of as the Son of God the Father as often in the Gospel of John as in all the other three Gospels combined. Likewise, the word love, or some form of it, is used in the Gospel of John more than it's used in all the other three Gospels combined. Now, let's go to Matthew. It's exciting here to me to note where the first time love is used in the New Testament. It's the clearest possible expression of God the Father for His Son. Matthew 3 and verse 17. It is at the baptism of Jesus here where this is said. Matthew 3 and verse 17. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. But that's not all. Let's go to the first occurrence of love in Mark's gospel. is in Mark 1 verse 11. Let's turn to Mark, verse 11. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Likewise, also, the first time love is mentioned in Luke is at the baptism of Jesus. Let's just turn to Luke 3 and verse 22. Luke 3 and verse 22. <clears throat> and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him, and the voice came from heaven which saith, said, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So we see three times over, as it were, as we enter the New Testament, we learn the love of God in its fullness. God sent His Son down here. And we're introduced to it by a great voice from heaven proclaiming that Jesus is my beloved Son. God talking here. And I think we could say if Abraham loved his son Isaac, God's love was much greater for his son than Isaac's, than Abraham was for Isaac. But now, let's look into the gospel of God's love and God's Son. It's the record of the Beloved disciple John. And as we look there, I think we'll almost be silenced into awe what comes first, the first verse in John containing the word love. What do you think it is? It's the one probably one of the first verses a lot of us learned as a child. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. 
that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we see here three times over God is shouting out from heaven, this is my beloved son. And then he tells us in the Gospel of John that he loves us. He loves us so much that he will send his only lovely son down here that we, you and I, can be saved. That's hard for me to to really get a hold of, how God was willing to do that. He loved his son so much, yet he sent him down here for us. I think we can only believe and rejoice and give thanks. Now just again, 1 John 4, verse 9. And this was manifest the love of God toward us, because God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Here in his love, listen up, here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. It says it right here what love is. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Here, I just, there in 1 John 4, as we heard already this morning, it just blessed me. There again we see, it says, herein is love. You want to know what love is? That God sent his son down here to the earth to save us from our sins. And I, and that just The first time I come across that, the structure of Scripture, I don't think it was just happened that John come after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I don't think God just, it just happened, the structure of Scripture. But to me, it's a, it's a beautiful picture of the structure of God plans Scripture like it is. And it shows us how important love is. And God, how He loves us so much that He's willing to send His Son down here, His only lovely Son. Now let's look in... Uh, point four, God's love in the New Testament. We've read here in 1 John 4, it's been read already, so I don't think I'll read it again. I'll just note a few things here, but one, and to focus on God's love. In 1 John 4, I had verses 7 through 10 to read, and also 16. And I'm, I'll just notice a few things. We've been read several times already, but notice there in verse... Uh, Nine. And this was manifested the love of God toward us because he sent his only begotten son. And some of these scriptures will overlap a little bit, some others we've already covered. But here it's showing, and we'll focus on God's love. That's the proof of God's love toward us. He sent God, Jesus, his only son for us. And we notice already, verse 10, here in his love. It's not that we love God, but that he's loved us. Verse 16. And we know and believe the love of God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. I'd like to just read again, a quote again from uh, Vines on God's love. Love can be known only from the actions it prompts. We heard a little bit about it this morning. God's love is seen in the gift of his Son. Read it here in 1 John 4. But obviously this is not the love of complacency or affection. That is, it was not drawn out by the excellency of its objects. We notice that in Romans 5 verse 8. It was an exercise of divine will and deliberate choice, made without assignable cause save that which lies in the nature of God himself. Read that last again. The love from God, it was an exercise of divine will and deliberate choice made without assignable cause save that which lies in the nature of God himself. And we saw that in Deuteronomy 7 with the, uh, the nation Israel. 
God didn't send his love, show us love because we deserved it. It was totally with unassignable cause. It was no reason all that God should love us. We were a poor, lost people, but he made a deliberate choice with his divine will. I will love and each one of us. Put your name in there. God made that choice. Now let's turn to Romans 5. I'd like to read a little scripture there about God's love. Just a few more things in the New Testament that shows God's love to us. <clears throat> Romans 5, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we also have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. For when we were yet sinners, sorry, when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were re reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. I'd like to just note again verse 8. God commended his love toward us while we were yet sinners. He died for us. That great love, his kind feeling, that benevolence he had, he showed it to us his, in his willingness to be sacrificed on the cross and to die for us. Now let's turn to Ephesians 2. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 2. Read the first ten verses here. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, as any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Here in verse 4 and 5, it talks about God's love. He sent Christ, His great love, with His great love, He sent Christ down here that we who were dead could be made alive. <clears throat> Notice verse 8, the last phrase here. It is a gift of God. And I think we need to grab a hold of that. God's love is a gift to us. It's a gift. He didn't have to do it. He did it because He wanted to. We could look in, uh, we were there in 1 John, we could look there in 1 John 3. Some of those scriptures read this morning, I'm going to go there. But again, in 1 John 3, it talks again about the love of God, what he did for us, and how, all the things that he did. Uh, just, I might just notice verse 16 in chapter 3. Hereby, you say, if you want to know what God's love is again, hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us. 
and we ought also to lay down our lives for the brethren. Here again it's saying, do you want to perceive the love of God? It's Christ laying down his life for us. You want to know love? Know Christ. John 16, 27, For the Father himself loveth you, because he hath loved me, and hath believed that I came from God. Those are just a few scriptures in the New Testament that show God's love toward us. Now I'd like to look at our last point, Christ, the personification of love. <clears throat> and we could have spent the whole message right here. There are so many scriptures that talk about Christ being the personification of love. He is what brought down, showed God's love to us in a bodily form. He came and walked on this earth and showed to us what love really is. <clears throat> and again from Vines, love has its perfect expression among men in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christian love is the fruit of His Spirit in the Christian. And we, look, we can look at Galatians 5, 22, talks about the fruits of the Spirit there. Let's just turn to, just a, notice a few of Christ, how He is a personification of love. Let's turn to Matthew 5. <clears throat> Matthew 5, and we want to read verses 43 through 48. Matthew 5, verse 43. And you have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that love hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, <clears throat> that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he make this sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Here we see a little picture of how God's love works. <clears throat> and he's saying here, you heard, you know, love your, enemy, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. Now he's saying, love your, uh, your neighbor and love your enemies, even those that do uh, curse you. And all those do wrong to you, love them. They despitefully use you and persecute you. You're to love them. Because he says here, I think this helps show a little bit of definition of what love is. Love, my own words, it's love without, it shows forth without asking or looking for anything in return. Here he shows how the publicans, they love them that love them. They'll return love to those that have loved them. They'll do good to those that have done good to them. But see there, it's always in response to what, something, what someone has done for us. But God, Christ's love was not that way. He loved us while we were yet sinners. And here he's saying how love should be. So love doesn't ask or expect anything in return. It loves regardless of what someone does. My wife loves me regardless of how I treat her. That's true love. Even when I don't think of her like I should and trample on her feelings and something like that, she still loves me. That's part of God's love. It's not by what we do or what someone else is doing if we love them. But it's we love them because God's love within them. We don't expect something in return. Now we could say that God, Christ loved us hoping that our love would return to Him. And that's true. So in a sense, we are expecting something. But true love gives without asking anything back. It's a gift. It's, as we noticed there before, Christ's love to us is a gift. And our love to others should be as a gift. I'll just mention a few of these other scriptures. Matthew 8, verses 1 through 3, Jesus healed the leper there. And the leper, I think if I'm mistaken, asked if God, Christ would heal him. And Jesus said this, I will be thou clean. 
That I will, I don't think it was just like, yeah, I'll help you. It was God's love, Christ's love coming out. I will, I want to. It's what I'm here for. I'm the uh, great physician. I want to heal you. And I think that was uh, another personification of love. Christ reaching out and saying, I want to heal you. Matthew 14, verses 13 and 14 talks about, the setting is there when John the Baptist had just been beheaded. And Jesus wanted to go off by himself alone. And it says he came out and saw the multitudes and was moved with compassion. Even that hour when he wanted some time to himself, he saw the people and he was moved with compassion he had, and he just had to help them. It's like he couldn't help himself. His love was so great, he wanted to help them. There again is a personification of love. Mark 6.34 also adds a little something to that. It says they were as sheep having no shepherd. He saw that and he wanted to help them. Mark 10.21 talks about the rich young ruler and says there, and Jesus loved him. Now somehow that, that just grips me. It's more than just saying a man, but Jesus loved him. He saw something there that he wanted good for this man. It seemed like the man had everything in order, but there's one thing Christ saw that he lacked yet, and he wanted him to do that because he loved him. Luke 23 talks about Christ there, verse 42 and 43, when Christ is hanging on the cross... In his most painful and lonely hour, he reaches out to one more sinner, the thief on the cross. His love is there so great. Even in his dying hours, he's reaching out in love to one more sinner yet. John 5, verses 6 and 8, talk about the impotent man at the pool of Bethesda. It says this, and Jesus saw him. I think that somehow that's different than when we see people. Jesus saw him. His love reached out to that man, and he said, Wilt thou be made whole? There again, his love wanted to help. <clears throat> and let's turn to John 15 yet. There's a scripture there I'd like to turn to yet about Christ, the personification of love. John 15, read verses 9 through 14. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken to you, that your, lo- your joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. Here God's love is shown through Jesus. None of the progression here. Verse 9, he says, As a father loved me, so have I loved you. Jesus is saying that. And then go up in verse 12, he says, he talks about him loving them. He says, This is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. Another the progression. God has loved the Son. The Son has loved us. Now we are to love each other. Now, I think that's, a, that's one of the best examples of Christ's love or love being personified here on earth. It's God, Christ, he's worked in us, and then we work that out among each other, and that love is shown to each other. And notice there in verse 13, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And who was our perfect example? It was Christ. He loved us so much, he laid down his life for his friends. And in that way, he's saying to us, If you want to show your great love, Lay down your life for your friends. Now, it may not be your physical life as such, but it could be other ways. You can lay down your life. You can do things for your friends. 
And I think the friends there can be brothers and sisters in the Lord. <clears throat> now, how is love shown here? We notice several things. Jesus healed the sick. He healed the blind, the lame, the disease. He healed the sinner. He had time for the sinner, the children, the common folk, the uncommon folk. And all that was a personification of love. He took time for all these people. And if you want to know what love is and how to love, look at Christ. Know Christ. You want to know love? Know Christ. So just a little bit of review. What is love? God is love. It all starts with Him. To have true love, it starts with God, and then it works down, as we said before, through Christ, into our lives, through salvation, then out to others. Love is the very essence of who God is. And just again, I'd like to read parts of these two quotes. In respect of the Gapio as used of God, it expresses the deep and constant love and interest of a perfect being toward entirely unworthy objects. And the other, God's love is an exercise of the divine will and deliberate choice made without assignable cause save that which lies in the nature of God himself. That's God's love. He chose to love us. It wasn't that he had to, but he chose to love us. Remember back in the beginning, we talked about the world's looking for something. All the, the romance mo- uh, novels, movies, all that. Our president's even looking for something. All due respect, he's even looking for something. You know what? We have it. Let's show it to him. It's God's love. We have something to offer the world that no one else has. God's love working through us out to each other is the most beautiful expression of what God's love is and how it works in people. So again this morning, I wanted to focus on God's love, not so much brotherly love, but you can tell you, if we have God's love like we should, it's going to work out. And I'm not sure if this is theologically correct to say it this way, but it almost feels like God can't help but love us. Jesus can't. It just, it's, it's so much of who he is, he just can't help himself. And almost... I told one person one time, I think God's love almost gets himself in trouble. It's almost like he, he, he works overtime or does all this, and yet God is so infinite, there is nothing like that with him. But he works so hard for us. But as it said there in John, um, in the epistle of John, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And so in the same way, it should be that I just can't help but love my brother and sister. If God's love is abiding in me, it's going to show itself forth to all those around me. And not just to my brothers and sisters in my congregation and you in your congregation, but to the world around us that we have something they're looking for. Let's show it to them. And in conclusion, I'd like to just read Jude 1, verse 21 and 22. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves in, on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God. That's my challenge to you this morning. Keep yourself in the love of God. Let's kneel for prayer.